Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a sometimes fortnightly, sometimes monthly podcast for fans of Arkham Horror, the card game. I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Uh, I'm great. I'm great. Much much better than last week, as, as, as you I well know. I thought you weren't going to make that joke. Yes. What, what jo- it's been I, such I, a long time since we've done that. <laughs> I don't know what, what joke you mean. It's, 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 a, it's a week or two weeks it's been later. A long week. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you what you've been up to in the intervening time. Let's jump straight in. A couple of people, Anthony Gennaro and fan of the show Australian Peter, both wrote us emails that essentially, oh, I think one was a Facebook message, essentially had the exact same question, which is, I'm finding it hard to decide what cards I would like to upgrade in my deck and how to choose what to upgrade what not to upgrade what to cut when i'm upgrading so we thought we'd do an episode all about spending experience and upgrading your deck yes that's exactly what we thought uh, we i think we've we've kind of kicked around ideas like this for a little while maybe uh, but uh, as you say a few people got in touch with us and yeah it's yeah. It spurred us on to do it i think it's a, it's an interesting area it may be something we take for granted it's, it's it's something of... we talk about quite a lot. Yeah. You, you send me a list and go, I've got 4 XP. This is one of my most loved parts of the game, is looking at your experience and trying to tweak your deck. So maybe what we're going to try and talk about is is some of the, the skills involved in that, how to select what to pick, uh, and maybe how it impacts your initial deck building as well. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I, I think, you know, we, we talk about it a lot. I send you a link of, oh, we just finished Echoes of the Past, we got 4 XP what should I upgrade? And we talk, you know, oh, okay, you're going in this direction. Who else is in your in your party? What do you want to do or not? So it's something that we actually probably talk about more than comes across in the show. So we're going to try and share some of that as well. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Is there a, a base level point that you hold in mind when you're choosing upgrading, Peter? No, not really, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so I, begin I, wherever I, you want to begin then, yeah. Well, I, I, often when I put together a deck, I've got a rough end goal of where I want to be with that deck. And I have a few ideas in terms of what the priority of those those changes are, which cards are more powerful for the amount of experience I spend in order to get to the end. It, it's something I definitely consider. Yeah. how much experience I've got and what I can fit neatly into that experience. So if you get five experience, but I don't have anything that I want to buy that costs one experience, I might not get something that's four experience. You can get a two and a three, for instance. Yeah, okay. So so part of that is thinking about spending your XP efficiently. Yes. I mean, you can always save experience, so it's not the end of the world if you don't. But yeah, I, I tend to be someone who, who has a rough end goal in mind and then work towards that. Uh, as I go on, inside that as well, you generally split split experience down into two paths. So you have, if you have an end goal in sight for your deck, you might that might be based on a different strategy you can bring forward with the experience based cards. So, for instance, we, we've talked in in previous episodes about this idea of an academic army min. When she gets yeah. charisma, that enables her to be more flexible with her strategy. Or you might find yeah. certain cards like Pathfinder allow you to move in a different way. Yeah. So you're you're potentially giving yourself new abilities or changing how you changing how you do things. 
So I think you're completely right. And I think one thing that Arkham DB doesn't at the moment hint at, because we both use Arkham DB for building our decks, is what those first few purchases would be. But if someone sends me a deck and, for instance, it's Academic Army and it's got six allies in it, I'm going to assume that their first purchase is Charisma. And, you know, if it was you sending me the deck, you'd probably say, yeah, my my purchase order for my first experience is Charisma, then, you know, whatever else it is, then, you know, and you've maybe got the first three or four planned out. For my solo min that I was playing recently, first purchase was definitely Strange Solution, and then it was Pathfinder, and I knew that that's what I was going to do, and I knew that if I didn't get 4 XP in my first scenario, I was just going to save until I could get get to 4 XP, and that, that was my prioritised experience another example would be if someone shows you a a guardian deck and it has two prepared for the worst and two bandoliers in it early on that might hint that their first buy is going to be a big weapon because they want to be able to find it and they don't they want to also be able to run a machete or something else in their hands and so in those instances they've actually built their zero xp deck with a specific purchase in mind if you, you know, obviously, if you built your deck and you've been like, oh, and I definitely would like to run Lightning Gun in this deck, and you've not thought about some of the issues Lightning Gun might introduce to your deck, that can be tricky. So sometimes, even at the deck building stage, having half an eye on on your experience choices can be useful. And I think the other example, I, I think we saw a step change in how people use Daisy when we got higher education. It's one of the problems That's with Daisy. Example, yeah. One of the problems with her using her spells was always that she didn't necessarily have a reliable way to boost her willpower she had to rely on drawing a card like rosary or uh, arcane studies and they're yeah. both quite uh, the arcane studies is you know can be quite costly to use if you're using it on most of your checks so yeah. we found higher education as soon as that came out what you could do is muddle through the first scenario uh, and then plan to spend your first three experience on a copy of higher education yeah yeah and that yeah that sort of transforms the deck from where you're going i need all of these different willpower support cards to make sure i can use shriveling or whatever other spell it is blinding light if you're using that to evade to suddenly going i already have one card and it's going to start every scenario in play and at that point then the using dr milan for resources and using seekers great card draw is all you need to keep fueling the higher education it's very powerful so I mentioned earlier that the cards fall into different camps. So what we've talked about there is cards that maybe offer you something different that you couldn't do previously. There are other cards yeah. which are upgrades to existing cards. Generally are cheaper or better at doing whatever it is those cards do than the base version. Yeah. So we've got uh, upgraded shriveling, for instance. We've got upgraded emergency cash. We've got soon we'll have two versions of an upgraded emergency cache and yep. sometimes these changes are they're just straight up efficiency changes so yeah leo de luca will become cheaper uh, emergency cache yeah it draws you a card when you play it you've got the same with lucky as well two xp exactly the same cost but adds card draw into it and these cards aren't they don't seem that sexy so just drawing an extra card with emergency cache doesn't seem like fun doesn't seem as as an exciting use of four experience to upgrade to emergency cash. But what you find is, if you keep these cards in mind and you upgrade them as you go through, your deck becomes noticeably more powerful by the end of the game, uh, by the end of the campaign, rather. 
So every card yeah. in your deck is starting to become better at what it does. It's cycling through your deck quicker. It's getting you to those other power cards faster. Yeah. In my opinion, you shouldn't shouldn't neglect those those fundamentals. I guess you'd call them if this was tennis or, or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice, nice way of putting it. You're very right. This reminds me of a great article that FFG actually wrote about the different ways that people spend experience. And there's one style of spending experience that's all about improving your deck so you're actually not making the hard choices about what to cut for a new flashy card because you're upgrading emergency cash into emergency cash 2 you're upgrading lucky into lucky 2 uh, vicious blow into vicious blow 2 deduction into deduction 2 yeah. you get the idea i mean obviously that's the only person who could be doing that is lola but you know that's the way you're doing that that you're you're just you're going for all of the the straight upgrades because you're only allowed two of any card by name. If you're spending four XP on two upgraded vicious blows, there's really only two cards that you can swap for that, unless for some reason you weren't running the level zero vicious blow. That incremental strength provided by small purchases it's it's a lot harder to quantify, I would say, than than what is you know the big payoff cards, but. They're probably cards that you're going to use more often, and particularly a step from one icon to two, as in the case of those skills I mentioned. That's pretty significant. On standard, you're getting to two up just from committing one card, and yes, there are added bonuses. You can get more clues or do more damage or heal more horror, but really just just from going to one icon to two is quite powerful, I would say, within single cards, because you're you're improving the strength of individual cards in your deck, which is, yeah, really useful. Yeah, and and don't forget as well that experience cards can be a step on the path to uh, further upgrades as well. So mainly, there isn't many of these at the moment, but shriveling, for instance, yeah, there's absolutely no harm in in buying if you're going to buy the top level shriveling. There's no harm in buying shriveling level three or on the way to getting it. Yeah, you might never have the point where you have ten XP waiting to upgrade both at the same time, but you might finish a scenario with six and go to shriveling level three and then if you finish another scenario on five or six again it's only four to take that to do that step so it actually helps you make that process it's like uh, paying for a mortgage or something <laughs> it's a good way of putting it yeah so the, the, i think there's 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 another category of experience spending as well which is okay. shoring up weaknesses that you've you've noticed or have developed in your deck as you go through the campaign. Okay, so this this is a little bit like with deck building, when you've tested a deck and you've gone, actually, I thought this card was going to be really flashy and helpful, Book of Shadows or whatever it is, but actually I've been playing with it and it's really slow or it's not, I, ne I never play it because it's never worth me playing. So you do you feel you can target some of those cards? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, there is that, yeah. Look to upgrade them out of the deck? There's, yeah, there's definitely that. So if, if I... If I find a card, now it can happen because maybe it was an oversight during deck construction. Maybe it's a new card I wasn't sure about. Because, you know, contrary to, to I'm sure our listeners believe, Frank, we're not all-knowing deck-building gods. Yeah, I built a baseball bat. Yeah, you so. did, yeah. <laughs> uh, so well, sometimes you, you end up in a situation where cards aren't performing as well as you'd like them to. So you can remove those, add something else in. Or or a key idea isn't working out how how you you saw it doing to begin with, or it can yeah. be reactive to what's happened in the campaign. So maybe 
you're not seeing a particular type of encounter or enemy card during the campaign and a card you've put in your deck based on past experiences turned out not to be as good. Or it can be as a result of things like weaknesses or uh, trauma you've developed in the campaign. So okay. so maybe yeah. a, a someone who's who's picked up a couple of a physical trauma, I don't know, might want to focus on getting something like I've had worse to avoid more trauma being uh, t- uh, more damage being taken. Yeah. Or you know, if your if your weakness is weakness is something like uh, indebted or paranoia. Yeah. You might want that emergency cash three to jump back up to uh, to four resources sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. And in a way I think this is this is one of the more interesting uses of experience because it it shows your character developing over the in reaction to the events that are happening in the campaign. Yeah, and it's so it's it's slightly reactive deck tweaking, but it's also it's yeah, it's reacting to to experiences that you're going through. So it's actually forcing you to reflect on what went well in this scenario, what went poorly, what are the cards that I had in hand that I actually didn't want to play, what are the problems i'm encountering you know we can already guess when you're building the roland deck that his low sanity is going to be an issue but if you've actually taken a mental trauma you might need to take more deliberate steps to deal with that in future scenarios can't just be a case of oh well i'll i'll swap in some first aid it might you might need to take bigger steps to deal with it yeah definitely definitely there's, there's an additional feature as if this wasn't enough to bear in mind it's an additional element that's worth thinking about and that is not just about how you're spending experience, but about how the party wants to spend experience. And the reason that that, I think, is worth bearing in mind is that different factions encourage you to spend XP in different ways. So we actually talked about this with Matt Newman on our post-Dunwich episode in a bit more detail about what he wanted XP to feel like for each faction, and if you haven't heard that, definitely go back and look. But two of the obvious examples are that Rogue have exceptional cards and they can be incredibly expensive in terms of XP. And Survivor have Exile cards that are on the cheaper side and also Survivor have no four or five XP cards currently. Yes. yes. So if you have a Rogue player and a Survivor player in your group, it might be that the Survivor player is buying lots of one XP cards and the rogue player is saying, guys, I'm not going to upgrade my deck at all for two scenarios because I'm saving up for the gold pocket watch or I'm going to save up to six XP and get ace in the hole. And I think it's worth bearing that in mind around the table. I'm always interested in what people are, are choosing to upgrade generally, but it's worth having a sense, okay, someone is saving, so everyone else should hopefully be upping the strength of everyone else's decks to counterbalance the fact that you're waiting for one deck, for one for one player to, to be able to get to that point. And then you've got something like, for instance, in Seeker, if they're going for an Archaic Glyphs or a Strange Solution play, they're going to need to do something within a scenario as well as then spend some XP. We don't yet know what it is for the Glyphs, which means that they're going to have to be saving and waiting for that and going to require some some support while they do that. So they might not be able to buy that encyclopedia that's going to support everyone or that cryptic research or whatever else it is because they're saying, no, 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 my first 8 XP is going to be this. It's going to be strange solution. And then 
while we're thinking about XP, Guardian, I think, are the most conventional in how the purchases work. There are some big five cost and four cost cards that are powerful cards. But other than that, there's nothing too terrifying. Just to go back very quickly to reacting to a campaign or or choices being informed by the campaign, I think one of the amazing examples of that is actually Mind Wipe, that yeah. when people first saw it, they went, oh, wow, this is a really cool card, and maybe paid the XP for it, and then found very few occasions when it was actually useful. And so then the card was panned. And you know we, we believe that Matt Newman is a good designer. He's not going to design cards that are basically junk. So it's just waiting for the right occasion for it to be useful. And it's a card that really rewards knowing certain scenarios and is very reactive, but then very powerful in certain cases and just not very powerful in other cases. So that's that's an example of if you know what you're dealing with, it could be something that normally you discount, but actually is worth bearing in mind. So you've decided you really want deciphered reality in your deck and you've got the 5 XP to pay for it. But up until that point, you know, four scenarios in, your deck has been running pretty efficiently. There haven't been too many cards that feel like dead cards in your hand or that don't see the table. And some of those edge case cards have worked out really well for you. How do you pick which card goes? Well, I I think one of the things you need to do is always consider the balance of cards in your deck in terms of what they do. So I would look to, in that case, I would look to be replacing something else which gains me clues. With deciphered yeah. reality, I mean, if I had something like seeking answers, deciphered reality is is a fairly obvious upgrade to that card, especially because I don't think yeah. seeking answers is that good anyway. Might it be something like working the hunch that would working a hunch that 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 gets cut because that's also a sort of get a clue yeah, that, card. But then again, working a hunch, as we know, is it's a fast card, and one of the benefits of it is that it doesn't uh, you don't have to investigate to do it. So. Yeah, swapping seeking answers to deciphered reality is a pretty... That's an open and shut case. Yeah. It won't often be as easy as that. So yeah, like you say, maybe working a hunch isn't so useful anymore and you can always move to another location and investigate there to gain the clue of the original location. Broadly, I think you, you need to keep a balance of cards in your deck. You also need to be aware of changes to your resource curve. So taking out, yeah, say, yeah. a, a one-cost card and putting in a four- or five-cost card, that's going to have an impact on whether you're able to pay for stuff to play. Yeah. I see this a lot with Shortcut being upgraded into Pathfinder, and that's going from a zero-cost fast card to a three-cost non-fast card, and that, that is significant in changing the curve of your deck. I personally like to keep both, but then that means you've got to find something else to upgrade Pathfinder from, which is tricky in itself. But yeah, it's a, a, a very good example. If you're a Guardian, you keep buying bigger and bigger weapons. All that's happening is that your cost curve is getting higher, and at some point you've got to start investing in new resource cards as well. Or yeah. you've got to make sure that resource cards aren't the ones that you cut. Yes, yes. That, while speaking about cost, that's one of the things that I think's a sort of a hidden benefit in certain experience cards, not in exile cards because they, they're one use normally. So Leo level one is just one cost cheaper and people talked a little bit about the fact that that means you can pay him and play him as your first action 
because he costs five rather than six, and then you've got three actions left to to do whatever you want. But the thing that's really worth noting about Leo is you save one resource the first time you play him, but you also save a resource every subsequent time. And so Leo is an example of a card that if you can buy him after your first scenario, because you know at some point you want the level one Leo, you potentially have seven more scenarios that you're going to play Leo in. And so you're, you're paying one XP for a, a saving of seven resources over seven scenarios, which is not insignificant. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting that I, I think this this effectively this comes into play with the uh, the upgrades to the the more basic cards. So you're like you're lucky in emergency cash upgrades as well. Yeah, I think it's worth stressing to people. Your example with with Leo is really easy to grasp, and when you think about it like that, you can see that resource uh, ex, experience isn't a resource which is spent and then it's done. It's an investment in your deck, which makes your deck more powerful for every scenario. So yeah. an experience in the first scenario isn't one experience in the next scenario. It's one experience in all the subsequent scenarios. Cards like Delve Too Deep and Bury Them Deep are disproportionately more useful at the beginning of the campaign because that generates you more experience to spend for the rest of the campaign. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. I think it's a, it's a really good point. I think to go back to the point about knowing broadly what your upgrade strategy is, if you're going for some of these big ticket purchases, the sooner you can get them, the better. So waiting until you're at scenario six and then going, oh, I've actually got eight XP. I'm going to buy the pocket watch now means you're only going to give yourself two opportunities to see the pocket watch in the entire campaign. Whereas if you spent, say, your first two scenarios XP on getting it, you get six opportunities to see it, which is pretty, pretty good. Well, definitely better. <laughs> yeah. Do we have any particular cards we think are, bearing in mind everything we've talked about, which is that experience spending is, is there's a huge amount of ways to go about it and you really need to be flexible in your approach. Do you think there are any must-have experience picks for various builds or various factions, Frank? Well, I... I mean, I have one in mind. Yeah. Okay, go on. <laughs> I, I did that thing where I asked a question because I want to answer it. Yeah, here's the answer. <laughs> and, I, yeah. and I'll tell you why I asked, Frank. So I, I think adaptable it should almost always be one of the first experience spends as a rogue. Okay. Because the flexibility, it, well, I think the flexibility it offers you is amazing. All that, all those things we talked about, where sometimes you you've put a card in your deck and it's not performing as you wanted, and also so, so adaptable lets you change what you've picked in order to to account for that. You know, you might have picked a card and it's, oh, it's not very good. Yeah. I'll just swap it out for something else. In addition, new cards are coming out all the time, and a and a rogue with adaptable or anyone with adaptable can then look at all the new level zero cards and swap them into their deck for free if they would fit in better than the card they've gotten at the moment. Yeah, to, they, the adaptable links to the idea of delve too deep because adaptable is saying pay one experience and actually get two experience worth of changes from that point onwards. So the sooner you invest in it, the more changes you get out of it. But it's also sort of touches on what we were talking about, about keeping an eye on cards that aren't functioning as you wanted them to. And Adaptable gives you a, a free way of dealing with them. If you find it hard choosing your experience choices, though, Adaptable is just an extra cat among the pigeons in terms of challenges. Playing the campaign recently, our Jenny player had Adaptable as well as other purchases and really didn't enjoy trying to think of things to tune 
because didn't feel that he knew his deck so well that it was like, oh, okay, definitely minus one backstab, plus one sneak attack, or whatever it was per scenario. He he didn't feel as on on top of that. So it can it can sort of muddy the water a little bit bit more than you'd want it to. But I I personally agree. I think it's a very powerful card, and that and that leads to an interesting point that you can actually swap level zero cards if you want to. There can be a time, particularly going into the final scenario of a campaign or last two, where you really feel like something's not functioning. Say, for instance, you you were running a, a painkillers or a smoking pipe or a bandolier, something like that, maybe magnifying glass as a seeker, and you're realising you're actually never playing it anymore because you've got powerful enough that you don't need that particular card. At that point, it might be worth spending 1 XP to swap it into say an unexpected courage or a you know another skill that's going to definitely have a an impactful use yeah yeah definitely and it, uh, it feels almost like a waste of it's 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 attacks on not knowing in advance what cards were going to be good so it, it you always feel reluctant to to pay that tax but sometimes it's better off to 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 just bite the bullet and do it you know if if a card isn't putting yeah. its weight that one experience to put in something which is going to be good, it's, yeah, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, I think for the Dunwich investigators who can take five off-class cards, if one of your five is not pulling its weight, given that they're you know they're a chunk of your deck that really can be very influential to what you do, I think that would be a case where if you're four scenarios into a campaign, you go, you know what, this no stone unturned is actually not doing anything for what my deck wants to do. I'm going to rejig it. That I think is worth it because they're disproportionately useful. Those five off-class cards because they can add such a flavour to to a deck that's otherwise monocolour. And yeah, def- definitely worth considering in that instance. To go back to your question about any must-buy upgrades, the reason I paused was because obviously I was just running through all sixteen investigators in my head and immediately. <laughs> categorizing all of them but i think that would maybe be excessive to do that so i'll just do by faction cards that i'm very fond of um guardian i think i've had worse is one that i think i always go for i'm a bit of a fan as well of stand together yeah i was gonna i was gonna say i I, I think i would generally buy stand together first i think unless you're playing solo uh, there's very little reason not to take stand together in a guardian deck yeah, and like, let's just touch on that. Would you like a card that gives you two cards and two resources and someone else two cards and two resources? So that's four cards, four resources for one card and three XP? Yes. Right. Yes, I would. I just, would definitely buy that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How how do I buy it? Take the to there's, shop. There's that, a, yeah, those two, I would say. My, there's very few uh, cards uh, I would want to see in my opening hand more than stand together. Yeah. Yeah, if you can pull off that amazing stand together play where you play it on yourself and someone else and you both hit a weakness, oh. first action, first turn, that <laughs> is like, you know that the three XP was well spent. <laughs> I've seen some just to, to touch on what other people like in Guardian. I've seen some people go straight to Beat Cop Two or Brother Xavier or extra ammunition if they're running a particularly weapon heavy deck, and I think all of those are are useful options brothers avia and beat cop 2 are both very powerful allies we've not yet seen the guardian patron super frank so you know obviously that will take that slot when that's out but you, you know there are some definitely some some good choices there but i would say because they're slightly cheaper xp buys i'd probably be happy to wait until scenario two or three 
for a purchase. Like, I'd rather get a big ticket buy like I've had worse or stand together first. Seeker, I think higher education is still the premier card. You've got to find a, a good reason not not to purchase that. And I personally, the way I play Seeker, I love Deduction too. I think that's a very strong card. What What about you, Peter? Are there any Seeker cards? That... I think uh, uh, Cryptic Research is a really good one. Uh, more cards is good. I think people coming from other card games, especially card games like Magic, would be very surprised to see a card like Cryptic Research. It's effectively exactly the same as one of the most powerful cards in Magic, which is Ancestral Recall. And that isn't free to play, like like Cryptic Research is. Yeah. It's, of course, it's slightly different in this because we've got an action-based economy, so you can always draw cards if you want to. You could spend your turn drawing cards if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. But I just think, yeah, more cards is better. If you've got good cards in your deck, you want them, then drawing more of them for free, it's great. <laughs> We've already touched on Adaptable for Rogue. I think if you want to upgrade Leo early on, it's good as well. I often find myself leaning towards Hot Streak, which is another big, big purchase. But then there are two other cards that I think are really strong, and they are Switchblade Level 2, and depending on the deck, Cat Burglar. Cat Burglar always is in the shadow of Leo, but if you're playing a sneaky deck, that plus one agility is great, and that ability to move away from enemies at a pinch is just, yeah, really powerful. So, yeah, I'd always look at Cat Burglar, and I think Switchblade 2 is probably one of the best weapons in the game. I mean, it's not the most reliable, but it's just to pay one for a weapon that's giving you plus two per attack. It's fast as well. an action. Yeah, it's fast as well. It's, it's got Peter all over it. It's amazing. It's just the the fascinating thing about it is when people play with Switchblade Two, even if they're not doing two damage a hit, they're still happy because they they didn't spend an action to invest in it, and it's giving them this this plus two straight up. Which mm. it's so weird, isn't it, that that that, that should uh, be the case? And then I, you know, I'm we've mentioned already higher education. I think Streetwise is also up there as a permanent talent that's really potent. Uh, obviously it requires resources but we know that rogues have plenty of options for resources in pot streak burglary and lone wolf all three options that they have <laughs> for resources so My- mystic's an interesting one there's, i generally find there's a lot in mystic that i want i think it depends yeah. on what kind of build you're going for an offensive mystic would love to pick up shriveling early on or shriveling level three Especially as it's a yeah. stepping stone to shriveling level five, which is just outstandingly good. But I mean, there's a few yeah. things you could say are, yeah, there's a few things you could say are good picks. I don't know whether they're necessarily essential picks. Things like a song of the, no, well, not song of the dead. Yeah, if you're being offensive, a song of the dead might sneak in there. I think Spirit of Thame yeah. is now probably a pick ahead of Song of the Dead. Yeah, and it's uh, all round consistency that's really useful grotesque statue as well is the other one i was thinking of yeah yeah yeah. which I is just for that, very for that to come up very all-round good like almost broken good in a catchy but yes otherwise all-round good i think i think spirit of dami and grotesque statue are sort of two ends of the xp scale and they're doing a similar thing of of upping your consistency you know you're not always using spirit of dami every turn but it's giving you a boost to a whole range of different tests if you need it and Grotesque Statue is similar. You might play it and not then immediately use all the charges on it. But it's there as a kind of, okay, this is a difficult test. I, I really don't want to fail here. I'm going to do two. The, the other 
one in multiplayer that I would definitely keep an eye on is the Jewel of Alreolus. It If you get it early and it hits the table early and you, you're playing full player, you almost always will get a card or two resources from it every turn. And I've, I've played it even two player where, yeah, it just paid out so quickly that it was, yeah, incredibly powerful obviously it takes the accessory slot so it's competing with some other good accessory cards like holy rosary and rabbit's foot in agnes but yeah really powerful card and also works in combination with grotesque statue and then finally survivors survivors are an odd bunch of working out how they they fit in because yeah as, as i always say there aren't as many options I find Survivor is where, as I mentioned earlier, if I'm playing Ash Campete or even Wendy, it's the little purchases to shore up the deck that seem to always come up for me. So I'm not as inclined to go for Scrapper straight away, but I am inclined to upgrade Peter Sylvester if I'm running him yeah. because he starts to become really powerful. That's right, yeah. Upgrade Lucky. Yeah, look, upgrade Lucky's amazing. Most of Lucky's. Yeah. Lucky's the kind of card that you're going to want to replay if you're Wendy or... If you're Yorick and you're drawing it back to your hand and replaying it, and also if you're anyone who's playing resourceful and getting it back again, so that's that's very useful. I think the other survivor card that is a must buy is Will to Survive. That is so good, Will to Survive. Yeah, yeah just a, a, a turn where you know it, it's great for finishing off a scenario, finishing off a boss. Everyone can stack in their, you know, their their other action enhancing skill cards and things like that yeah for just a signature turn i think it's amazing yeah anything that gives you extra actions and at the moment we've seen extra actions in rogue and in guardian anything that can combine with will to survive start to become really powerful and you can have already have thought you know maybe you're running two quick thinkings and then suddenly you're spending three xp for will to survive and you're getting an incredible turn straight away it's it's almost worth saying you know even Ash Campete would maybe consider quick thinkings, just because the might if his first purchase is will to survive, there can yeah. be that turn where he's using Duke to fight and he's fighting at four and you can throw in the quick thinkings and immediately get extra actions and do other things with them yeah, really strong, so those those be mine for that I think if you're playing as a survivor in a in a three or four player setting that's when Exile really starts to shine because people can carry you a little bit if you're using your Exile cards. And so the, sort of the strength of your deck is, is diminishing as a result. You can at least get away with that because other people can help you out and your role can kind of be to keep buying those Exile cards, so buying Devil's Luck or Test of Will, maybe Stroke of Luck as well. You might find your allies have picked up cards like Delve Too Deep, which give you the the experience the level of experience you need to be reinvesting in uh, in exile cards yeah yeah precisely i mean I, I think say you buy two tests of will you're saying i'm, I'm cancelling two encounter cards this scenario as long as you get two xp back that's like that feels like a fairly reasonable xp sink yes you know obviously if you're happy with the rest of your deck you know there's, it's not like there's a five xp card that you're saving up for potentially yeah okay so that's sort of a faction overview we've not really touched on neutral obviously i think charisma is really the standout in uh, in neutral depending on what deck you're running some people absolutely love charisma in their decks yeah because they, they, they know they're running or they want to run lots of allies yeah 
that ally slot is so powerful because it gives you extra health and sanity as well as giving you some kind of ability. So having a way of having two of those happen can be can be really useful. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen now with Red Glove Man, Red Glove Man people were very excited about as a sort of final purchase, last scenario play. But actually where he really shines is in Chance Encounter, Calling in Favours style decks where you get multiple plays, multiple bangs for your buck. Yorick also loves him because you kill an enemy and he comes back, yeah, yeah. Yeah, your discard pile and get another couple of actions out of him. Soak a bit more, more damage for you and then off he goes again. Do we feel like we've got to the bottom of this? I hope so. Yeah, I think so. I, hopefully, we've we've given people some things to think about. I think we've we've done that in a few areas. So hopefully, the people who've asked us to cover this are, are happy with what we've done. Yeah, I think I think the other thing, just a really small point, is I sometimes find that what I end up doing is I build a deck where almost everything is two obs because that's you know you're picking your fifteen cards that you want to see and you want to build your deck around. And then what I sometimes end up doing with XP is, so say I buy two Pathfinders next, I rather than take out both copies of one card, I take out one each of two separate cards. Yeah. Because they, they're anyway, say, cards 26, 27, 28, no, 27, 28, 29, and 30. And so I go down one and one. So maybe that's a preposterous sketches in a mind over matter something like that I go down to one each of them because I actually don't want to see both necessarily but I also don't want to fall down on one side of the other with what I get rid of yeah the risk with that is you end up with a lot of one-offs in your deck and it's kind of hard to keep track of so you've got to got to be slightly aware of it and I also think that if you go down to a one of a card it's more likely that in future scenarios it won't feel as good because you don't see it as often so it doesn't feel as consistent. So you've got to be aware that you're always skewing the evidence yourself. But sometimes going down to a one-off can actually, you've actually realised after a bit of experience, you know, something like Hiding Spot, okay, this is a really good card, but actually the occasions I need it are fewer and further between than I thought they were. So I'll, I'll go down to one Hiding Spot and it will be a good panic card if I need it. And that's a, that's a space. So I suppose I suppose what I'm saying there is using that sort of evaluation of what are the were the more edge case cards and maybe they're the targets to upgrade first to or is it their targets to cut as you put in your more powerful cards. Great. Okay. Well I think that that's us, isn't it? If you want to get in touch with us, we're drawn to the flame on Facebook, drawn to the flame on Twitter, and drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com on the email. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I'm uh, United on uh, Twitter and Reddit and Discord, so say hello. Uh, that's U N I T L E D. Uh, and you, Frank? I'm F B E P H underscore B E E on Twitter. Shout out to the Twitter guys who send me pictures of their games. And I'm Zooey Glass and Zozo around the place. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.